The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And I would ask that you turn in your copies of God's Word. This is our second time, hopefully of a number of times in the future as we move forward. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I have prayed and asked the Lord when to do this, if to do this. So led me in this present distress that this would be the time to follow the series on the Apostles' Creed with this glorious magnus opus of the Apostle Paul on the Gospel of God. So if you'll turn there to Romans 1, this is our second time in verses 1 through 7. Uh, And if you'll turn there with me, Paul. A servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord." through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to those in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers. Flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and his mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. As I mentioned earlier, I've been praying about if and when to start the book of Romans. The Lord led me. I feel confident they led me there, but that's not the only feelings I have by any means. This person asked me about that. I would say, well, maybe I can put it this way. When I was in college, I was invited uh, by my home church. We were... In college, uh, we were expecting our first child, um, and um, it was in the spring, late spring, and I got this phone call uh, from an elder. This is the elder who lost his wife, and in the funeral of that wife is how I came to Christ. And uh, he called on behalf of Faith Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, to me as a son of the church, now moving toward ministry, finishing up college, and said, I wanted to know how things were going. I'm under care. So he was kind of finding out how things were going and talking with me. And, and then he said, well, we have an offer. We, would, we think we can help you in your progress toward learning how to be a pastor by you coming here for a summer internship as our youth pastor. So would you like to come and do that? I said, whoa, what a glorious privilege. Now, I could hear my wife's mind uh uh, kind of moving over there. Um, we're from Charlotte. We've got a child coming. The child is due this summer, in the middle of the summer, and therefore the child could be born there in Charlotte, where our parents are and where we are from. And um, and I was telling Cindy about it, and she said, "Well, honey, why don't you go talk? Why don't you go pray about this while I pack?" And I said, uh, "Okay." So. Um, so we ended up going there, and there's so much that that summer was used in my life in so many different ways, but there's two things that stand out in light of the question, how do I feel about starting the book of Romans? One was when the pastor called me into his office early on, and he said, you know, one of the things you need to learn as a pastor is to do hospital visitation in a way that will honor the Lord and encourage people. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, so I'm going to sign you one. One of our founding members, she's 88 years old, is in the hospital in Mercy. I said, oh, that's where I was born, Mercy Hospitals, yeah. And I want you to, she probably is not going to leave there until she goes to be with Jesus. She's really fighting a gigantic battle. 
I want you to go there and I want you to visit her and I want you to pray with her. I said, man, this is great. I really need to learn this. I said, when are we going? He said, oh, we're not going. You're going. He kind of had the same view of discipleship of a pastor that my dad had on how to teach me to swim. My dad's view of teaching me to swim was to take me down to the eight-foot section and throw me in and uh, learn. And um, so um, that's, that's what he was doing. He said, okay, go do it. And uh, so I remember, I said, okay, I need to read the Bible. I need to go visit. I need to pray before I go. I need to pray. So I said, about four or five things I need to do. But I was, number one, excited. This is my first hospital visit. This is so important to learn how to do this and to do it right. And she needs me to come. I am excited about this. I was also unbelievably scared and intimidated all at the same time. Well, I remember walking in there, I'll never forget it, just like it was yesterday to me. I remember walking in there, and as I walked in there, there she was. What he didn't prepare me for was the fact that she had diabetes, and secondly, that she had just had a double amputation. He also didn't prepare me that she was about five feet, uh, under five feet tall, and therefore, when I walked in there on the bed was uh, this woman that I was visiting, and there was about this much of her. That's it. That's all that was left. And uh, I was just overwhelmed. And um, But as soon as I walk in, I saw this gigantic, no legs, but a gigantic grin. And she said, aha, the preacher boy came to see me. <laughs> I said, yep, that's me, preacher boy. Uh, preacher boy just came to see you. She grabbed that trapeze up there, pulled herself up, laid herself on the pillow. Literally, her whole self was on the pillow. And she said, well, I'm so glad you came. And I said, oh, ma'am, I am glad I'm here now. Can, can I, <laughs> I just start right in. I said, can I read Psalm 43 with you? Yeah, let's read. So I read. I said, and uh, then I'd like to pray with you. She said, oh, yeah, thanks for doing that. Thanks for coming. She's had this great smile. I started reading Psalm 43. When I started, she started quoting. She quoted while I read, word for word. And I was just so overwhelmed. And then uh, then I prayed, and then she prayed for me. When I left, I was blessed. <laughs> I was excited and intimidated to go in. When I left, I was blessed. Not long after that, the pastor called me into his study and said, Nell and I are going on vacation. You're preaching next Sunday. <laughs> Guess what I was feeling again? <laughs> excitement, this is what I'm being called to do, to preach. And this is, I get to preach to my home congregation where I was converted. And then uh, then I got intimidated. I'm about to preach. And I'm preaching to all these people uh, that um, I've gone to know and love, and I've just began to be so intimidated. Well, I got up there. I remember preaching the sermon. On, uh, it was an evangelistic sermon that I preached from uh, Genesis, uh, uh, the, why you shouldn't be hiding in the trees and come to the tree of life. And uh, so I, I preached the sermon, and I got a, all kinds of encouragement. I was excited and intimidated. Afterwards, again, I was blessed. By the way, I got a second blessing. That's right. You heard Harry Reader say it, second blessing. I got a second blessing that day. The second blessing I got was a brand-new pair of shoes. What I didn't realize, see, I, it was a little tough while we were in school in those days, and uh, uh, financially, so I only had one pair of shoes, and I'd shined up the top, but I forgot you also got a bottom, and when you're a preacher, you're up on a platform, and when you cross your legs, whatever's underneath your, sh- uh, underneath your shoes, or whatever's not underneath your shoes, becomes abundantly evident to the entire congregation. So the next week, I had a brand new pair of shoes that an elder sent to me. I found out my size, sent me a brand new pair of shoes and said, you know, thank you for the sermon. It was a great sermon, but I'm not going to have a youth pastor preaching uh, when I look at him and all I can see is holes uh, in his shoes. We're just not going to have that. So yeah, I, I, I thought about it a couple of times whenever I need a new pair of shoes, just get one of the old ones with holes in it and wear them up here to see if that works still. I didn't know, but that's what worked that day. But in both cases, I was excited, intimidated, but then blessed. And that is exactly what I'm praying about. That's exactly what I'm praying for here. I am excited about Romans. I know what it did. I know what Romans did to Augustine. I know what Romans did to uh, Martin Luther because of what happened to Augustine. I know what Romans did to through Martin Luther and Augustine to John Calvin. I know what Romans did to John Wesley. 
I know what Romans did to Martin Lloyd-Jones and the Westminster Chapel congregation. I know what it's done. I know how powerful it is. I know sinners get saved, lives get changed. It is the Mount Everest of the Himalaya peaks, of the 66 mountain peaks of the Bible. It is glorious. It is powerful. It is wonderful. That's why I've asked you to be patient with me, particularly at this outset, uh, because I've asked you to kind of see it like a marathon, not as a sprint. Now, here's kind of the good news with a marathon. When you run a marathon right, your fastest mile is your last mile. And that means every mile, every mile gets faster. Of course, that also means when you get to the last mile, the slowest mile, the, the slowest mile had been the first mile. And that's exactly where we are. We are not speeding through starting into this. Our first mile is going to be a little slower. But here's the good news. It's going to get faster. But it's very important to get this. These opening verses tell us who is writing. Tell us where he's writing from. Tell us when he is writing. We can find out what he is writing. We can find out why he is writing. We can find out to whom is he writing. All of those things are important. You know, really and truly, 21st century Email is very similar to first century mail. First century mail letters are very similar to our 21st century email. In the first century, you didn't sign your name at the end so much. You signed it at the beginning. You, when you get your email and you take a look, oh, there, somebody just sent me an email. And then you see the date. And then you see the subject. Does that not affect the way you read it? Absolutely. You see who wrote it. You see when they wrote it, where they wrote it from. And then you see the subject, what they're about to tell you. All of that sets the framework for how you read it, what you do when you read it. And that's what happens for us in the epistles. That Paul tells us he's the writer by the Holy Spirit. We find out where he is. We find out when he writes. We find out all of those things. And then we dive into it. And we get to what he is writing in its exposition for us. So, uh, I'm just, I'm not trying to get done with Romans. I'm wanting Romans to get done with us. Therefore, I want us to understand it. And I, part of that is last week. Who when and where. And when you think about who wrote it, Paul, you begin to under remember some things about Paul, don't you? Here's, can I help you this way? What I covered last week, you can just pack away in your brain, brain with a series of threes. When you think of Paul, Paul gives his testimony five times in the epistles. And when he gives his testimony, the apostle Paul lets you know some things about him. Here's one set of threes. He's a Roman citizen... And by the way, he's pretty proud of it. He is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's pretty proud of that. He goes to the tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he's a Christian. He starts out proud of Roman citizen and Hebrews, but he ends up boasting of being a Christian, which utterly affects how he sees himself as a Roman citizen and how he sees himself as a Hebrew. What it means to be a Christian affects everything. And then you got, not only that's those threes, but you got another set of threes, and that is to look at his life in three epics. We don't know for sure where he was born, but we do know where he was raised, Tarsus up in Asia Minor. And we know that he was there by, by um, approximately from age 1 to age 13, which would have been the age that you went off to formal school. And we know he goes off to formal school. He leaves Tarsus and he comes to Jerusalem. He's got relatives. He's got aunts. The Bible tells us he's got aunts. He's got uncles. He's got cousins that are there, one of which will save his life later. And there he goes to the school of Gamaliel. And he begins to make his progress. He becomes an apprentice and an intern in the Sanhedrin. Well, that means that probably lasted to age 30, because in the Sanhedrin, you could not be on an official enterprise until age 30. 
But we find out he goes on an official enterprise. He becomes the carrier, an emissary of the Sanhedrin with death warrants for Christians and churches. And, then, and when he goes to fulfill those is when he gets converted after age 30. And then God calls him to himself. There's another set of threes that you need to remember is that he went on three missionary journeys, three different missionary journeys. And it's on the third missionary journey that he writes Romans. Now, when did he write Romans? Well, he wrote Romans, we know the month, March. We don't know for sure the year. It's either 57 or 58 A.D. But we do know the month because of the feast that he mentions while he's writing. So we do know the month. It's March. And we don't know, but we also know the, we don't know the year, but we, it's either 57 or 58. I think it's 57 AD. And we also know where he's writing from. There's a church that he planted where he was for 18 months, the church at Corinth, and a sister church that came out of it in the port city that is next to Corinth, and it's called Sincrea. And that's where he is when he writes, and he will send that letter from there, 57 A.D., by way of a woman named Phoebe, who is a patron in the church there of Sincrea, and she is the one that's going to take it all the way up to Rome. In 57 A.D. for the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul says one more thing for you about himself. Here's what he says about himself. Remember this? He gives you, can I give you one more set of threes? He said, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I am a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul, a servant. The words doulos. Slave, bondservant, bond slave. The Roman Empire was built on slavery. Just built on it. Probably around 60% of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. That doesn't mean menial tasks. Some had menial tasks. Some were doctors. Some were lawyers. Some were teachers. Some were tutors. But slavery was a common dynamic in that nation. It, and now Paul says, when he's been emancipated from the power of sin, it was to become the servant and slave of Christ. Yes, he's now a son of God. He's now redeemed. But in his heart, he wants to serve Christ as master and Lord. Then it says, called to be an apostle. Called to be a sent one of the Savior to give us the word of God, the Bible is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, and to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost part of the world. Called as an apostle. And then he says, set apart for the gospel of God. Now folks, listen, don't run by that too quickly. Because when you look at that, the apostle Paul, that says something to us. What's true of the Apostle Paul in an elevated sense is true about me and you in a reality sense as well. In other words, when Jesus becomes your Lord and Jesus becomes your Savior, when he has emancipated, freed you, delivered you from sin's penalty and power, when he does that, you now come to him. We who were slaves to sin, set free, now out of love to Christ, give ourselves to him. And when you give yourself to him, do you know what he says to you? Here's what your master says. Go and preach the gospel. As the Father sent me, so send I you. You know, if I was to go around here and I was to ask all of us, do you believe that Jesus is your Master and Lord? Yes. Do you want to do what your Master and Lord tells you to do? Yes. Well, Paul was an Apostle, capital A. But we are Apostles. Apostle means sent one. As the Father sent me, so send I you. Go and preach the gospel. So here's the question. If Jesus is your master, 
And he has clearly told you to go. And he sent you with the gospel. Who did you talk to? Who in the name of the master did you go to tell about life eternal? Well, that's the flow of the Christian life is that. He sets us free. We surrender to him as Lord and Savior, slaves to Christ, servants to Christ. He then sends us out as ambassadors with the gospel message. And then we are set apart for the gospel of God. Don't miss this. This Paul, who had so many credentials, Hebrew of the Hebrews, Sanhedrin, Pharisee, tribe of Benjamin. I've even got the name of the greatest men from our tribe, King Saul. This guy that was had all of these credentials, I'm a Roman citizen. After his conversion, his identity is simply this. In fact, here's the way I wrote it. Paul, the Holy Spirit inspired author of the book of Romans, has a singular identity in life that resulted in a multifaceted intentional life. In other words, Paul's life is Christ. Paul's life is not terrorist Christian. Paul's life is not legalist Christian. Paul's life is not identified by what he was before Christ or even the entangling sins he dealt, he deals with as a follower of Christ. Paul's life is Christ. That's his life. I am a servant of who? Jesus Christ. I am a I am an apostle called by Jesus Christ. I am set apart for the gospel of God. His identity is the triune God who has saved him through the preeminence of Christ. Christ is my life. Christ is not at the top of his priority list. Christ is the list. For to me to live is Christ. Then Christ makes his priority list. That's the way he is displayed before us. And now, from Sincrea, 57, March, A.D., he writes an exposition of the gospel of God, which I want to talk to you about next week. This week, who does he write? Well, we're told... Look at that last verse I just read, verse 7. To you who are in Rome. There's the first. He gives you three marks. He's writing to you, to all of you who where are in Rome. He is sending a letter that will be brought to Roman citizens. It is a letter. You know it's physical destination. It's national destination. It's metropolitan destination. You know it's earthly destination to those in Rome. Secondly, now it narrows to those who are in Rome who are loved by God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. But God demonstrated his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us, loved us, and sent his son to save us. His son loved us and gave himself on the cross in our place to set us free from our sins. And the Son, in his victorious ascension, now loves us and sends the Holy Spirit, who does his work in us, to set us free from sin and self, so that we might now love him who loves us, and love him who gave him who loves us. That's what the gospel message declares. I, um, um, let me try to put it this way. God loved you, but he didn't need you. You and I did not love God, 
but we needed him. Here is the one case for you and me of unmerited, unsought, undeserved love. It's from God. Every love we have in this world is going to have a mixed dynamic in it. But in this one, the one who loves us doesn't need us. He just loves us. So much he gave his son for us to take our place to receive the wrath from him that should have fell upon us. That we could have everlasting life. Now that I've been loved, I have something to give to him, but I don't give to him anything that he hasn't given to me. He's not, get, he's not doing something to get someone that he needs. He's doing something for someone who needs him. He loves us. So when we needed him but didn't love him, he who didn't need us loved us. And he gave his son for us. Say, so now, Pastor, wait just a minute. I, I, I need love. I need love. Yeah, I'm not saying, I'm not saying we don't seek love. We just seek love in all the wrong places. And all the wrong kind of love. And all of the wrong reasons. But our God has loved us to set us free so that we might love Him who first loved us. Now watch, watch this. Those in Rome, loved by God, number three, who are His holy people. Who are His holy people. Now the word holy means righteousness, it means purity, it means obedience, but it also means something more fundamental, and that's this. It means one of a kind. It means unique. When we say God is holy, we are saying that there is no other God like him. And when we say God is holy, 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 we're saying God is holy not just to the normative or the comparative, but to the superlative. There is none like him. Now, we who know him, who are loved by him, are now his. We are his people. We belong to Him. He belongs to us. We belong to Him. We are His people. Don't you love that great hymn and confession of the early church that's included in the book of Titus where it says this in Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. Why? Because he loved us. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession. I am his, and he is mine. We are owned by the Lord. Let me try to make this um, kind of crystallized clear. I, I'm an American. I've asked you to pray for our country this week. I'm praying for our country. I love my country. But it doesn't own me. Jesus does. I love being a pastor. I love Briarwood. I love PCA. But it doesn't own me. Jesus owns me. All of me. And I ask him to keep showing me. How much he owns me because of how much he has loved me. 
and therefore how much all of my affection, allegiance, and adoration for good things in this world must come from my full, unadulterated affection, allegiance, and adoration of him. I am his. He is mine. I love my wife. She doesn't own me. I love my children. They don't own me. I love my grandchildren. They don't own me. And the best thing for America is to have Christians who are not owned by America, but are owned by Jesus. That will bring blessing after blessing to this country. The greatest thing for a spouse is a husband or wife that's owned by Christ. The greatest thing for a child is a parent who is owned by Christ. That sets them free to lay down their life to bring Christ to them and bring them to Christ. The best thing for employers or uh, the best thing for employees or employers that own nothing but are owned by Christ and therefore are stewards of everything found faithful. We are a people for his own possession. We are called to be a holy people. Now I'm going to finish by asking you to do something that I should not ask you to do as a preacher. I Let me put it this way. One of my jobs is to spend hours in the study prayerfully preparing these messages and then come and bring you the fruit of me being in the study. I'm not going to do that now. This last one, I'm not going to bring you what I've learned in the study. I'm going to do something I'm not supposed to do, but there's a reason why I'm going to do it this morning. I want to bring you to my study. How did this church get here? How did this church get here? How did the church at Rome get here? How did Ephesus get there? Paul planned it. How did Corinth get there? Paul planned it. How did Philippi get there? Paul planned it. Paul and his team planted it. How did Sincrea? Paul and his team planted it. Um, how, how did the church at Rome get there? It's let us go into those in Rome that are called by God, loved by God, Christians. You got a church that's there. How did that church get there? Paul didn't plan it. He says, I want to get there. I want to come to you. I can't get there right now, so I'm sending this letter. And then, uh, and then, we know Peter didn't get there. Now, Paul and Peter will get there about ten years from now, and they'll both die there for Jesus. But they didn't go there and plant the church, nor did they, any record. Paul didn't send Titus there to plant the church. No record of them sending someone there to plant the church. Well, how did the church plant get there? I want to take just a moment to show you from the Bible how it got there. So that I think this will be encouraging for you and for me, and then we'll close in prayer. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me? Remember, I want you to have it ready. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. It's the moment, it's called Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. And when you get to Acts chapter 2, I want you to slip down to verse 5. Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. Now remember, the Lord has ascended. He sent them back to the upper room to pray until the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And this is what it says in verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. Devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, that's the outpouring of the Spirit of God at Pentecost upon the 120 that were in the upper room. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Judea and Cappadocia, underline this one, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt 
and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and who? Visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in their own tongue the mighty works of God. So here's the outpouring of the Spirit of God. They're speaking in, quote, tongues, quote, languages. This is not gibberish. This is an actual language that the person speaking doesn't know, but someone there needs to hear the gospel in their language. And the Holy Spirit gives this glorious fulfillment of Joel 2, that they hear someone speaking in their language. And as it lists all of the different kinds of people that are there, one of them is what? Visitors from Rome. Now, will you just kind of backfill with me for a minute? This is the Feast of Pentecost. Visitors from Rome, like the other places, are what we would call tourists. More precisely, pilgrims. I mean, somebody over in Rome got up in a Jewish family, a Jewish couple, and said, hey, this is Pentecost. We've never been to Jerusalem. We need to make a pilgrimage. Let's go to Pentecost, not knowing that year that they're going to Pentecost, so is the Holy Spirit. And they're about to meet Jesus. Because we're told 3,000 get saved from this composite picture of all the people that were there. 3,000 get saved, including what? Visitors from Rome. Now, if someone's a visitor, what does that mean? They're not staying. So those visitors from Rome that got there, that heard the gospel, that came to Jesus Christ, I don't know who, I don't know how many, but here's what I do know. They were just visitors. So after they were there and there for a while and got disciple for a while, they made a trip back to Rome. Now we've got Christians loved by God and set apart as his holy possession back in Rome. Now we also know something else happened. They started evangelizing their synagogue. Now, we've got to go a little bit outside the Bible for a minute. And in 49 A.D., the people they were evangelizing got mad at them and told them to quit telling them about Jesus. But they kept doing it. So violence and, and riots and mobs broke out. And the emperor was a guy named Claudius. And he said to the Jews, get out of here. I don't want your religious squabble in Rome. Get out. And they were banished from Rome. Now take your Bibles. Go with me to Acts 18. Go with me to Acts 18. Just go to your right. Go to Acts 18. Go to verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So here is Paul on his second missionary journey. He leaves Athens where he preached the, the sermon that's called the, at Mars Hill. He then goes down to Corinth, and here in this this cesspool of sexual immorality, he starts planting the church, but he's not by himself. Here are two Christians, Aquila and Priscilla, who like him are tent makers, so they go into business together in Corinth to support the ministry of church planting, and they start planting the church, and the Bible tells us they're there for 18 months, and Aquila and Priscilla are working with him, and he's staying with them. Then they will go over to Ephesus. And they will plant a church there at Ephesus. I'm out of time, so I can't turn you to all these texts. You go check them. And that he, and he sends them over to, and they go over to Ephesus. And they're working there. And then he's going to move on, but the Quill and Priscilla are going to stay there for the new church plant in Ephesus. Paul's going to be there for three years. And then Aquila and Priscilla, while they're there, they meet this great evangelist who doesn't understand Christianity as well as he ought to. So they disciple him to show him a, quote, more excellent way. His name is Apollos. And then they go with him back over to Corinth. A missionary couple. Where did they come from? Rome. 
How did they get converted? Well, likely they had made the trip to Jerusalem. Converted. They come back. They're part of the evangelism. Claudius says, too much disturbance. Get out of here. Little did he know he was just sending Aquila and Priscilla down as a part of a church planting team with Paul in Corinth and Sangria. Then, then Paul picks them up. He works with them 18 months. Come on, let's go over to Ephesus. And they plant the church in Ephesus. And then he, they disciple a great preacher by the name of Apollos. And then the apostle Paul gets back over to Corinth for three more months and he writes a letter to Rome. And when he writes the letter to Rome, I got one more passage. Go with me to Romans 16. Romans 16. One, Romans 16. Romans 16, and look at verse 1. Here Paul is concluding the letter, and he says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria. In other words, Phoebe is going to carry the letter he's writing in 57 AD to Rome. That you may welcome her and the Lord in a worthy way of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet, when you read this letter, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. Where? Corinth, Sincrea, Ephesus. Who risked their life. For my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Now they were planting a church in Rome. Greet also the church in their house. And then he goes on all these other greetings that are there. Now, why did I give you that? Why did the church at Rome get, get there? Well, it looks like to me it's got three little rivulets. One... In God's providence, some Jewish people decided this year we're going to make our pilgrimage over to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And when they got there, the Holy Spirit came out. Peter began to preach, and they came to Jesus Christ. They were there for long enough to get some discipling, and then they came back to Rome. And when they got back to Rome, they start second river, they start evangelizing in the synagogue. Well, some converted, but some got mad, and their violence broke out. That got all of them kicked out. But all that did, that's kind of like when you go, you know, when I was a kid, I used to cut the grass and the grass had uh, dandelions in it. And I'd go through and kick the dandelions. My mother would go crazy. Quit kicking those dandelions. All you're doing is spreading weeds. Well, that's what Claudius thinks he's, he's doing something by getting rid of the Jews. Actually, he's also sending out Jewish Christians who are going to go out church planting. Two of them are Priscilla and Aquila, and they go down to Corinth where Paul comes to plant the church at Corinth, and they become part of his team. Then they go with him, and they're part of the team for Ephesus, and then they help. This, this is a missionary couple doing some tent making. And, uh, and, and they didn't raise their support. They just got their own support. And then they, and then they sent, um, and then they, uh, helped them at, at, at Ephesus. And sometimes when Paul went back and then came back on his third missionary journey and made another trip to Corinth, there he found out that, that at, while he was gone, Aquila and Priscilla, who had been with him at Corinth and been with him at Ephesus and who had discipled Apollos and come back over to Corinth, had now gone back to Rome, and they're planting the church there in Rome as a missionary couple. So you got the providence of God when they went, people got converted at Pentecost. The evangelism of those in the synagogue when they came back. And then you got God just moving people everywhere. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how many churches are they going to be a part of? And that story's re- can I tell you one of the reasons I did that? Because I'm reading in Romans 16. I just stopped in that first paragraph. You keep reading it, but most of the time you don't. You start, greet Rufus and this one and that one. I can't even say the names and we just skip right through it. Do you know how much profitability there is in every scripture or passage? 
And as you work through those things, we usually skip over intros, extros, all of those things, those greetings, this person, that name. You begin to uncover something. You know what you uncovered right there? You not only uncovered Priscilla and Aquila had gone from Rome over to Pentecost. They got converted. They got brought back. They got kicked out. They helped start a church there. They went over and charged one of the Ephesus, came back to Corinth, and then ended back up in, in Rome. And now they're getting the letter from the Apostle Paul in 57 A.D. Not only do you see that, but when you read the rest of it, you find find out there are 28 people that Paul has ministered to that are now at the church at Rome. And he tells them to go give them greedy. 20, at least 28 people in Rome that God had moved there. Oh, I get so excited about this. I can't hardly stand it, but I need to stand it and I need to stop. So here's your takeaway. Here's your takeaway. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's our God will build his church with his special acts of providence, his working, his person here. I remember when this church sent me to plant the church in Charlotte. And when I got to Charlotte, I had these 38 people meeting in a double-wide trailer. And one of the things, as I was praying through going, was a couple that I met there that was a part of the 38. He was a West Point graduate, Officer Christian Fellowship, and uh, I really enjoyed meeting him and his wife and his kids. And he said, I'll help you. We did small group Bible studies at West Point. I'll help you get small group Bible studies. I said, oh, man, Cindy, this guy, he wants to, this is great. And that became part of, uh, yeah, God's calling me there. So I get there. We got snowed the first Sunday. The second Sunday, we had a great time. That, And then the third Sunday, I got an appointment to talk with him. And then when I talked to him, I'd only been there three weeks. And I talked with him. He said, well, he said, I'm not going to be able to help you on the small groups. They just gave me a job offer and I'm moving. What? You're supposed to be here, part of this team, this core group, and help me get small group. By, well, you know, I just really think God wants me to take this job. I said, well, I don't. And I said, I'm going to start praying. And I started praying, and he moved, and he was gone. I was crying in my milk, <laughs> so I called Frank and Terry Geiger, and I said, guys, there's this key guy. I don't do small groups good. He was here. I thought that was for a reason. This was going to be great, and he's not here. He's moving. Why in the world? I just, I just had to ventilate a little bit. And I'm not going to give you the exact quote, but basically this is what Frank and Terry said to me. Well, Harry, just think, you've got a chance over about a month to help a guy that's going to help some other church somewhere. Okay, I always have to call these godly people. And then he said, but Harry, you're in Charlotte. One of the reasons you're there, people are moving there. People are moving out of there. Listen, he's moving out. There's probably three more coming in. So you just sent him out. Now go get them other three coming and moving there. Now I got recalibrated. God's migrating his people, putting them where he wants to, to accomplish his purposes. Every piece of the body being fitted and all that God is doing in his sovereignty. He is providentially bringing salvation and they think they're going for a Pentecost observance. He's moving them here. Here's an emperor decree that's smashing down. And all it's doing is starting more churches. And then when he dies, now they come back and now they're planting a church right there. Rome, did you see what the Lord is doing? This is so glorious. This is why I love this. I love to read about it. I love the book of Romans. I love just looking at the people that are there and how they got there and what God is doing. And I and I see someone like Paul. And when you get captured by the gospel and Jesus is your life and you're going to do what Jesus called you to do. And you love his church and you love his people. And you go plant a church in Ephesus, the cultural center of the Roman Empire. You plant a church in Corinth, the actual cesspool of immorality. He planted a church in Sincrea with all of its economic seat, commerce, capital. You go and plant a church in Athens right into the arrogant, pagan capital, intellectual capital of the world. And then you go to Rome. And you go right to the belly of the beast. You pick up the book of Revelation. Two beasts. Apostate church and tyrannical government. What's in Rome? Tyrannical government. Who else is in Rome? Christ and his church. Not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Identified with Christ. Preaching Christ. 
Yes, the beast is coming against the church. Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So go right down the throat of the beast and plant it, because I'll build it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the moments that we could be together in your word. I just love your word so much and love your people who love your word and love to see your people get a love for that word. And then I love to see people whom you are moving to seek and they hear the word and maybe in a moment like this say, Oh, Jesus, who overcame the gates of hell and purchased your church with your own blood at the same time you purchased me at the cross. I come to Jesus. If you want to come to Jesus, would you come and speak with me or one of us? Let us pray with you. Don't let another moment go by without committing to Christ. I plead with you. I beg you. I pray for you, for God to work in your soul that you will make the matters of life and eternity right with God today. Just come and talk with us. And Jesus will save you when you come to him. I will in no wise cast you out. Lord, as we see a polarized death spiral in the world. We see a place like Rome where they literally threw babies in a river. Unwanted. We see your church going and the sanctity of life in Christ proclaimed and lived. Oh God, help us take on the gates of hell. Go to the citadel of the beast knowing that Jesus prevails. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205 776-5200.